Welcome everyone to this week's episode of Reanimated. I'm AJ Conrad here with Stuart Tiffin, my intrepid co-host dealing with all sorts of interesting things on the West Coast. Hello, Stuart. The reason why HA is chuckling is because we've actually been talking for half an hour already before right, we did right. the intro. But so you, we'll, we'll you might it. not tell. You might not be able to tell by the time I'm done chopping this thing into shape. But yeah. hello. Whoa. I'm seeing a lot more people getting vaccinated, which is... Oh, well, we can talk about that because that's something going on here in New York, too. Uh, I don't know that I want to talk about it. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know, dude, I'm just kind of worn out with COVID. I, it's, it's all week, every day, my job. Your is job COVID. is all COVID all the time. I get it. Yeah, I'm Have just... you gotten vaccinated yet? That's the thing. I'm seeing people in their 40s that I don't know if they have comorbidities or whatever... Being like, I'm, I got my first appointment. And I'm like, I know for a fact there's only a thousand first doses in all of Sonoma County that are going to be able to be scheduled next week. How do you count above everybody older right, than you? Right. I mean, they opened it up to 60 plus here. Um, yeah. So that sort of had a flood of things. Though I will say that I helped um, a really good friend of mine who definitely, she and her roommate both have like significant comorbidities. And um, whereas I, it took me, you know, probably a week or so, or at least a couple of weeks to even find an appointment for me. Um, for them, I found one within an hour, like once they asked me to help them. Wild. Um, which just, I mean, and it wasn't because of anything magical I was doing. It was just because they've opened up more sites here and opened up more appointments for the first dose, I guess. Um, I guess the question is whether they have reserved anything for the second doses or whether this is sort of the J&J factor. But it seemed like almost most places have like the double, you know, the Moderna and the Pfizer. Not, I haven't even seen mass vaccination sites here yet with the J&J. We so. had it. Uh, well, we, we got seventeen hundred doses of that last week that went out, and then nothing until the twenty third. Like that's the end of J and J because huh. I think they just had that one. They they had been pre producing it, and then I think some. We are completely flat. Hmm. It's it's actually super de- demoralizing to talk about vaccine here because we haven't been able to do first doses in three weeks. Wow. All we're doing is second doses. And those 1700 J and J and it's, yeah, it's super depressing everywhere else. The news is all rosy, like, Oh, America, we're all getting vaccinated. And I'm just like, I don't see this working out, man. It's going <laughs> so slowly. We get 7,000 doses a week. That's for crazy. A, for a community of 500,000. Yeah. And you need two of them. <laughs> yeah. This is going to take so long. Yeah. Uh, so, um, that's, yeah. is it just the distribution with like, are more doses going to say like, you know, San Francisco and like the, the population centers. Is that why? Well, yeah, the, the, the governor came up with this plan to vaccinate areas that are harder hit in like the healthy places index, which is uh, an equity based hmm. formula. Equity is great. It's super necessary, but it does slow everything down. Yeah. Um, well, and so, that's yeah, the they're, other... they're sending a lot of doses to L.A. and the Central Valley and Southern California. So that's the one thing. So we've, you know, now that New York has been opening this up more and the other, they've basically been adding different types of like employment and things to the list. So like hotel workers and taxi drivers, I think taxi drivers are already on the list, but um, anybody who's sort of like front facing and forced to deal with the public as part of their job is pretty much on the list now. So all restaurant workers, MTA workers, all that kind of thing. Um, and honestly, if you ask me, like the MTA workers should have been number one 
on the list anyway. In addition to Dude, the, yeah. in addition to people. the frontline healthcare workers, you know, it, for a couple reasons. One is that they don't have a choice but to do this, and yeah. it keeps the trains running. But secondly, if you look at how they handled it initially, the MTA, like the the number of employees that died from COVID, was insane. So you know, it was just just, and it was absolutely avoidable. Um, and you know, some of it's also the ventilation stuff down there and all that fun stuff. Um, another fun fact, uh, post COVID they're suggesting that people just wear masks in the subways because apparently the, uh, did we talk about this, that the, the, um, pollution in the subways, like the particulate matter, such as things like asbestos and stuff like that is so bad that they They're said just realizing this apparently they just completed this study and it's not all <laughs> stations like it's like and they didn't really they were a little muddy about which stations it were that were affected but that i'm like oh that gives me great confidence you know like what other stuff are they not telling us about what's good but so anyway they're like you may want to keep your mask on for your commute in the future i'm like oh that's just dandy um how many children have been taking the subway right. to school uh, like right. for their whole lives? And the report is pretty also, it, it's kind of upsetting if you live in New York just and spend any significant time on the subway. The the question is whether it's just in the stations and whether that small amount of time you're in a station versus on a train makes a difference. But I, I mean, Don't you got trains always stay underground in the stations. Well, they do. But like, I guess that, you know, the the cars themselves have a filtration system and all that stuff. So uh, but still, it's it's kind of scary. Um, huh. But anyway, so they don't I, smell like pee when you uh, when you go on them. Uh, well, I mean, it depends on when you catch it, whoever's been peeing and they've <laughs> yeah, been... Yeah, when, when was the last pee incident? Okay. Right. But anyway, um, <laughs> I digress. The I think that to me, the, the thing that's going on right now, and, and we won't talk too much longer since this is part of your daily and you've got to be totally worn and ground down by it. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, you're seeing definitely, an un, I think, an unequal distribution around the United States and in specific states, depending on what's happening. Um, it feels like states that have specifically done it by age versus by whatever weird class they were putting it in almost seem to be moving a little faster. So Connecticut seems to be moving pretty fast. I mean, and New York now is too. And, and some of the things that we were seeing earlier on, they seem to have worked out some of those things. So a few of the vaccination centers now have enough supply that they can have 24 hour appointments. So yeah, the 24 hour stuff is really impressive. It is. And not happening in a lot of places. um, So now it seems as if at least in New York city proper in the boroughs, I think that it's probably possible to get an appointment if you need one. And there hasn't been, even though they opened it up to the, the, now they lowered the age range to 60 plus and then some additional uh, workers and, and additional conditions that are allowed. um, It doesn't seem as if there is a dearth of appointments. So people seem to be getting them pretty easily. Now it seems to be running like clockwork. There was a horrible news story a couple weeks ago where um, elderly people were waiting in line at Javits for hours and hours and hours, like eight hours and fainting in line and stuff like that. Um, And one of the things that they have also introduced, in addition to these 24-hour appointments in certain big vaccine hubs, um, are in-home vaccinations. So, and and this is what I was saying before, which is like, you know, you've got to imagine there's some elderly and infirm people that 
it's quite risky for them to go out, not just because, you know, they may have a comorbidity that makes them a lot more susceptible. And it, they were so, homebound beforehand. Right. Even, so you know? so to have to ask them to go not only once, but twice to some of these places yeah. and then wait in line. Um, so now they have a, a program where I guess they can sign up and a healthcare worker will come to their house for both doses. And to me, that seems like a very smart thing to do. I feel um, like Meals on Wheels just needs to like hook up with a traveling nurse company and be like, all right, so let's do in this addition thing. to your stroganoff, you're going to get a shot and we'll yeah. be back in three weeks, you know. Yeah. Another phenomenon happening here in New York is that initially, as as I think everybody has been reporting, there was a pretty big uh, exodus out of New York, uh, partially, especially people with kids, because it was just like such a small footprint to have to be stuck like at moving home. permanently or just, um, uh... I think like some some were probably moving permanently. Some just were like, oh, let's ride this out in a place where, you know, we could actually go outside without a mask with our kid or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but now it seems as if people are slowly coming back. Um, oh. So that's going to be interesting. Interesting to see what happens. Um, but interestingly, I've been sort of seeing reports of different workplaces and reporting different things um, in terms of what the expectation will be. And I definitely think that there's probably going to be some, like a lot more flexibility about where people work and how what the office culture is. And I just think that there's going to be a pretty big number of changes just in the corporate culture in New York and the, the big, uh, you know, the midtown um, mecca of of like office buildings and things like oh, that. Yeah. I mean, at least a few law firms that I've seen have announced that they're not, they're sort of like, ah, well, we'll make one day a week a mandatory everybody's in the office on this day. Dude, and then, downtown San Francisco is a ghost town. Yeah. Silicon Valley is basically scattered to the four winds. Uh, at least 115,000 jobs have moved outside of, like, yeah. uh, there's still jobs that are, you know, employed by companies ostensibly that are based in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, but their their employees have moved all over the place. It's it's basically you know rents are plummeting, and 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 office space is becoming insanely available. And I think we're going to see a shift now. I also would say that just based upon my conversations, not just with people in my industry, but people, friends, and family, and things like that. Um, I think a lot of people really do want to have at least some part of time go back to the office, myself included. Um, part of mine is obviously because of my personal like living situation because I, we, you know, we live in a, an open floor plan. So it's just my husband and I just don't have any privacy from each other um, when we're trying to work. And that's been it has been tough to negotiate. And um, I think that we have figured it out. But I think both of us are looking forward to the day when we will be spending some time apart from each other too. Do you think you want to move into a bigger place? Um, I think that's part of it. And that's always been something on our radar. I think that we probably have somewhat of a unique um, situation in that our living space is used as his art studio, as his, you know, a photography yeah. studio. And so, um, and it has fantastic light and it's just... doesn't really work with you there gumming up the work. No, so. it does not. But although, I mean, I will say it's not like he can actually do that now because people aren't allowed yeah. in our apartment, nor would we do that until there's a lot more vaccination rates happening. Um, but so that's not like that had been happening. Um, but in terms of him edit, just having sort of the focus to edit photos and having that specific time, um, he actually built himself a, what I call his Harry Potter office because it's like... Is it under the stairs? It might as well be. It's kind of in the, the, the... If any other people in New York would have made this into like a bedroom with just their bed and have more space in the rest of the apartment. But because he has so much um, equipment for his uh, photography uh, career, 
it's all in there. So so it's definitely pretty full up. But he put a tiny chair in there, like a like an armchair, um, and he puts on noise canceling headphones and he goes in there to do work, which I feel semi guilty about, but. Um, it seems to work, and it, it is sort of tidying us over until uh, we can get back to the office. I could not have picked a better pandemic partner in all of this because I've seen some of the stress and tension that others have been dealing with, and I think we've weathered it pretty well. Um, but it's it's definitely something that I think we'll we'll be looking at and seeing how things shake out, like as as everything starts to sort of open up again. So. Yeah. Um, but Next anyway. thing you know, you'll be you'll be moving into a four bedroom Connecticut. Ha, no, no. A six hour commute to, to um, get to work. So one thing I will say that you know I know a lot of people who did that, and we had an option to kind of do that. And part of why we didn't do that was because um, you know honestly, despite the small footprint of our apartment, our neighborhood is fantastic. We have access to a lot of outdoor space, parkland. We have. Uh, of course, my favorite, Greenwood Cemetery and Prospect Park, literally a short walk from our house. Um, and then um, I would say that if we were to end up in another place with a little bit more room, um, absolutely non-negotiable is to have some outdoor space, probably some private roofs rooftop space because that has been a godsend and I don't know that we would have been able to weather this as well um, because it allowed us to have like it's truly like one person over but like socially distanced dinners and things like that basically across the roof from another person but it kept that sort of lifeline alive um and also gave us space to get away from each other um you know even if it was just a little while so we'll see what happens but I definitely think there's going to be an adjustment and I think I don't know did you do you get the sense that a lot of people I think thought that everything was just going to snap back to being normal and I just don't I think it's going to be a little bit more of a adjustment for a lot of people. Um, oh yeah, I mean any any kind of uh miss what's the word? Any kind of idea I might have had about things going back to normal are certainly being shattered when we're having these conversations about our school district reopening, which is happening soon, hmm. um, because uh, the elementary school is going to be open from what is it eight until noon. Oh, and so that's different. If, you know, they're going to they're doing temperature checks and like it's going to be actually more disruptive to go back to school because yeah, my workday is going to be cut in half. Um, whether you know. So I can't have meetings around the time that I'm I'm going to pick my my mm-hmm. child up from school. Also, and this is just dumb and maybe too personal, but he they do these forehead temperature checks everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. My son is regularly two degrees hotter on his forehead than orally. Like if you give him a, an oral thermometer, yep, it's like ninety eight. It's a hundred on his face, and so he's gonna get sent home all the time. Day. Yeah, and I've already started writing to the school nurse to be like, look. My son is a special child. <laughs> I don't know, like I don't know how to do this, uh, and they're like, "Well, okay, we'll see." I think we're just gonna. Pro- we might just be told you can't come back to school until we until this like temperature thing is no longer a requirement, and I'm not sure when that's gonna be. Well, the weird thing about that is that it honestly doesn't tell anything because so many people don't even have a temperature with this. Forty percent, yeah, and, and, and maybe more among children. And yeah. the other thing, which I think 
did you and I talk? I, I don't know. I don't recall if we did talk about it. Apologies for repeating myself. But um, most people are actually a lot lower anyway than the 98.6. So I'm 94.6 on this damn forehead thermometer. I like have a very thick skull, I think. I don't know. I'm usually around like a, a yeah, I'm usually around like a 96 or something like that. Um, so, you know, and this is this is actually something that's been happening collectively for a while. But everybody just has that 98.6 set in their head. And exactly what you were just saying is that, honestly, it's from, that's sort of a norm, but it can vary so much from person to person. So maybe he just runs really hot. My nephew actually has the same issue, by the way. Um, So it has been an issue and they just ended up keeping him home until, because it just was too much of a, um, just stumbling block to have to go and pick him up every day. Um, I just don't know when, like when are masks and temperature checks not going to be a regular thing in schools? I'm not sure. I I mean, mean, I guess my guess is my guess is until you get until the the vaccines are then approved for kids and then and even beyond perhaps. Yeah, but we'll see. But anyway, um, slowly though, you know, things will will I think shift back into somewhat of a normal thing. But it's just gonna I think it's gonna be a little bit of a painful re-entry unfortunately yeah um, it's I, I have no n- misconception about things snapping back to normal so i just think it shows that we're definitely not out of the woods yet as much as people want it to be and as much as people want everything to open i just and are fatigued by this i think we just have to be smart about it and still continue to do this stuff so let's hope for the best um let's hope for the best but i think that things are there is a bright light i definitely think that things are going to get better um but there's it's just not going to be automatic. And I think that's really what, um, I I mean, and I am guilty of this too. I think that in everybody's mind, there was always like this, is there going to be, okay, there's a vaccine and now, okay, everything's restarted again and, and sort of back to, um, back to normal. But it's just, I think it's just going to be a little slower than that. And so, Hey, we'll just have to, to deal with it. And again, things are definitely getting better and, um, at least here in New York, cases are down to some extent. So that's a good thing, too. And in other places, things are getting worse because yeah. somehow, some way, the CDC's blog post about the zombie apocalypse and, you know, that they made in 2011. We, we had covered it in the first year we were doing this podcast, which was in the Middle Ages. Somehow somebody rediscovered the fact that they have this page on the on the on the website and decided that the CDC is really concerned about a zombie outbreak in 2021. Mm. And so it was picked up by a, a dozen different, eh, not reputable, but a dozen different news outlets uh, this week saying, oh, CDC recently posted about a zombie outbreak. And and, and then like, it's really just click, it's clickbait because then the comments are full of people making the same arguments that I just did, which is that it's been around for you know since 2017. It's just to get people interested in preparing for disasters. And yada yada, but mm-hmm. it still, you know, makes me uh, clench my fists in in joy. In joy? No, in uh, in outrage. Oh yeah, uh, I, I mean, you it's... saw these articles, I'm sure too. Yeah, I saw them, and I was sort of surprised because I, you know, we we did cover this when it had first come out, and actually, even when we covered it, I think our commentary was, "Oh, really, CDC? This is how you're." You're dealing with this. And um, it was primarily, I mean, I think it was more due to, like, I think they were trying to get people to prepare for, say, like, hurricanes and earthquakes and things like that. And and I don't know that global pandemic was necessarily there, although um, 
CDC. CDC. It is CDC, but like, um, or maybe it was like more Ebola because that would make sense if it was 2017 and maybe swine flu was kind of a a part of this. Um, But anyway. It was 2012, I think, is when we were talking about it. Yeah. 2013, maybe. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Yeah. They've been they've been worried about this stuff for for, you know, donkey's years. Yeah, so anyway, but now people are discovering it probably because they have nothing else to do right now, which makes sense. Although, you know, it's kind of interesting, like why just discover it now? It seems like it would have been a little bit more, you know, uh, it seems like somebody would have discovered this a little earlier on in the pandemic. But anyway. Yeah, and it's weird that some somebody obviously wrote about it and then a bunch of other news sites were like, ooh, this looks like juicy goss. Right. It's not. It's, it's old. Not old goss it's also a slow news cycle i would say there's there's yeah. there's some things going on but and there's things maybe it's just people wanted to add a lighter note to it i don't know um but um one of the other articles i saw that we're not we didn't put in the show notes was somebody was saying oh oh you think you're so cool Zack snyder doing a uh, zombie show in in las vegas with army of the dead well resident evil i forget which number it was but resident evil 4 the movie with mia you know jovovich did Las Vegas with zombies way earlier. back when. And I'm, I'm trying to remember like the and actual the like, stand Vegas. and the stand. Uh, are there zombies in the stand? Well, no, but I mean, it's a, yeah. you know, but they were definitely, there was some, yeah. Post, uh, apocalyptic, uh, not to mention, um, the passage, the passage definitely has a pretty big Vegas scene. Yeah. And casino. Yep. So, that's not a real entry in that list. I'm laughing. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, but... Yeah. Uh, I, I still think he's going to bring a fresh perspective to it, and it looks like it's going to be much more... Um, uh, the scope feels like it's going to be bigger. And then the the scene of like zombies coming out of a connex in Resident Evil, I don't remember much else they, other than they, they were in the desert, and there was like a connex mm-hmm. zombie fight scene. But that's all I really remember from Resident Evil... That, the one I don't know. They Vegas? start to blend. I vaguely remember it, but um, you got burned out on that series of movies pretty quick. Well, not quick. I think we went through half of them, and then you were just like, "Stuart, I can't anymore. I'm, I'm done." <laughs> pretty much, yes. <laughs> um, but um, in other news, Greg Nicotero did some like weird interview about where to go during a apocalypse, which you know I think he's got some good points. Again, this is a little clickbaity, so but there was a little light on the news this week, so let's let's be honest about that. Um, but basically, he says you should go wherever people wouldn't go, or where they're scared to go, or you know they wouldn't they wouldn't necessarily think ah that's a place to write out a zombocalypse. Um, so specifically, he mentions a dentist office because I guess people don't like to go to the dentist. Um, I will. What's ad- interesting here is that he is referring to a, a zombie trope popularized by Romero and also Zack Snyder, I think, uh, mm. nodded to this in 2004, Dawn of the Dead, where zombies repeat behaviors that they had in right. life, which right. is not something we see too much in Walking Dead, except for in like episode one, like or the first few episodes of the show. Right. Uh, so it, like, it's interesting that he is going back to old canon that d- he does not work on right now when he makes this argument. Right. Well, maybe it tells you where his, his loyalties lie. <laughs> I don't Still know. with Romero all these years later. All, all Romero all the time. It's got to go back to the canon. I will admit that one of the reasons why, one of the reasons I, this was just me, like before I even read the, the article, um, when I saw the headline, I'm like, oh, because, you know, dental work will be hard to get. So you should go to the dentist to ride out the apocalypse because, you know, uh, it's going to be hard to get, you know, work done on your teeth. And that can kill people pretty easily, more so Makes than people think. Yeah. So, um, you know, so anyway, that was that was 
what a misinterpretation of what the article was. But anyway, it's, <laughs> it's kind of funny to read it anyway. Um, yeah. But um, are we ready to talk about the next uh, episode of, of Walking Dead? Yeah, t- today it's tonight's episode, so we're a little early. And if you listen to this before you've seen it, spoiler alert. Let me say it before we talk about it as for a change. Um, this is episode 18 called One More. And um, for once, we can talk about who directed it because we've been not doing that. Oh, it's... okay. Shoot. <laughs> it's uh, directed by Laura Belzi and yeah, written by Eric Mountain and Jim Barnes. Yeah. And it's coming out today or t- tomorrow. Grief. Yeah, oh, we're yeah, because we're, we're day ahead, ahead of, of ourselves, aren't we? We didn't want to record on uh, Daylight Savings just to save ourselves from that kind of... Um, let's also talk pain. about, this is a lesson learned from, you know, we didn't learn it. We haven't learned it every... We only learned our lesson last last year, even though it tended to happen a lot. But um, what we know is that, that we are not people that deal with Daylight Saving time very well. <laughs> like, that's... No. That's really what the lesson is. It took us many years to learn it, but we know it now. So, hence our. I believe there's a federal bill now to to stick with it, like to to stay in one time. I think daylight savings all the time. Yes, that is true. Um, so we will see what happens with that. I am definitely on board with that because I just think just leave it, spring forward, and leave it alone. I think that's yeah. the way to go. Um, but in any case, um, so we are saving ourselves today and we're going to talk about this. And uh, I was, you know, this is also, you know, one thing that I will say that I've noticed and we talked about a little bit is some of the reasons why maybe the structure of some of these episodes changed maybe and maybe they had to, to figure out different storylines and things like that is because of COVID. Um, because you notice definitely that it's usually like not as many characters necessarily. Um, yeah, I'm so feeling that now. And I, you're I feeling that it week. and it's noticeable. And actually, I don't yeah. know um, if you have finished finished yet uh, with the whole uh, WandaVision series. Yeah. I have not, but I did see some of the commentary was like, oh, there was some uh, there were some odd choices that were made in the finale. And apparently it's because of COVID because they had to keep everybody so far apart from each other and that kind of thing. So, OK, there are a lot of outdoor fight scenes in right. the finale. Right. So, so um, apparently that was part of the calculus for that and the reasoning for that and maybe changed it in ways that they weren't necessarily planning on. But that's just what they had to do. And so I think we are seeing this definitely in The Walking Dead and it's becoming a little bit more noticeable. However, I also think it makes for some interesting character development um, and revelations because you are following only a couple of characters at, the, at a time. So um, so last yeah. week it was more Daryl and Carol hour plus an extra person thrown in, and I guess dog if you can't dog. Um, you definitely count dog. And um, dog's uh, younger self, so that's right, another, right. Whole char- another whole actor. Yeah, yeah, dog yeah. Dog actor. Um, and this one is very much a Gabriel... Um, and why am I forgetting Aaron and Aaron episode and and Mays and Mays brother who is also oh, played Mays. by Robert Patrick. <laughs> yes. Um. So I thought that was pretty cheesy, but yeah. uh, hey, you know, so if you can't have another actor on the set, go ahead and have Robert Patrick play his twin. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, yeah, but it's it's a it's a very interesting episode. I thought this was quite. Uh, impactful. I had feelings afterwards and during, but you know, like afterwards you're kind of just, <laughs> I feel like I'm definitely in camp 
team Aaron at the end of this episode where I'm just a little bit shaken and not quite sure that everything's going to be okay. Right. And we can talk a little bit about that. Um, the other thing I would say is, um, once again, they do the odd recap, kind of bringing the audience into where we are at this point. And, and again, I, I don't know how you're feeling about it. I feel like it's unnecessary at this point. Yeah. This one worked better than the last one. Maybe it worked the... better, but it was more synced with what was happening to some yeah, extent. Yeah, that's why. Video, um, the footage was actually related to what they were talking about. Right. Um, but in any case, um, and I should also point out that I believe that this is actually the 100, 150th episode of the series overall. Damn. Um, which is kind of crazy. Um, so... There's that too. Um, but but weird, you know, voiceover and recap aside in the beginning, um, this is jumps right into a... The music it, was still too loud in Angela Kang's um, it was. epilogue. It was. I don't know why they're, why they're doing that to her. It's very She strange. delivers a really nice charismatic epilogue. Right. Like, and, and then they have this like loud ass music that it's like, what? What did you say, Angela? Yeah, it's kind of strange. But we jump right into sort of an adventure journey, uh, sort of scouting effort with Gabriel and Aaron. And they are using a map that was provided to them by Maggie to basically go and try to find food and supplies for the Alexandria slash whatever uh, hilltop refugees. And um, let's think let's just talk about what this means, like the implications of Father Gabriel and Aaron going on a two man scavenging mission like scavenging it feels like they should be done with scavenging and i think that that's kind of part of the message that that you get over the course of this episode when they they come up empty so many times right Right. scavenging was done two four years ago like Mm -hmm. not in year seven or six of the uh, apocalypse um they are trying to find stuff from the world that was and that stuff is mostly gone as we find out through the course of this episode but this means that alexandria is no longer subsistent mm-hmm. like they've lost their ability to farm apparently because of whatever the whisperers did which is weird they didn't show us the extent of the damage like alexandria was standing on its own before i it mean they was. had the trade between the, the colonies but i mean this i know that bad. there was fire i know there was lots of other things that happened and so but look you have enough people and you have one community that was pretty much totally burned out of where they were and so then you are you're having and granted they did lose a lot of people during the whisperer um attacks but you still have a pretty large population of people that you have to keep fed um and it's not like produce is easy like you still need a season to do it so maybe they lost their stores and and maybe there was other things going on. Um, One thing that I just came to mind just thinking about how desperate it appears is that even, you know, I know Oceanside is a bit further away, but you would think that they would broker some kind of like community something because there's still stuff you can pull from the ocean. I don't know. Maybe oh, yeah. maybe it's like pretty just ways to to figure out how to to make it work and get them through. But again, this is like you don't have like the storage to you have you have to have a lot of supplies to keep people fed. Um, In the last episode, I mean Daryl and Carol were basically going out for food too and right. they found one dead deer and were like, "Oh, this hunting ground is done and that one might be good, but this one, you know, like they they're, they're yeah, so I, I agree with you. Oceanside hunt like fishing is probably way more successful in the right. post apocalypse than than hunting because deer can get eaten by zombies and fish probably don't much. Well, I not assume. to mention even if you know there are even if there are survivors, they're not only Oceanside really has the the 
boats and stuff to go out and do it. So, yeah. um, and then you don't really have people fishing or overfishing or whatever. So probably those populations are back. So my guess is, is that that's probably your best bet in terms of food source. Plus you can dry fish you, and because of the, the salt and all of that, you can preserve that stuff a lot better. I'm sure people will get really sick of dried fish <laughs> at some point. And how much salt can they produce? I and mean, I much- know they're on the ocean, but well, I mean, producing salt is pretty painstaking. Process, it's painstaking, isn't it? but it's like, I mean, you can just do like salt beds and things like that. I mean, it's not impossible. Yeah. Um, and so that to me seems a little bit more um, likely in terms of trying to get people over the hump in, for the food uh, like production. But again, they're, they're showing this theme. So clearly food is scarce. They're, they're looking, yeah. they're scavenging. It's been several years. And honestly, even them looking for like canned foods, I don't know how many canned foods are going to actually be good after that many years. I it'll mean, be a, it'll, it would definitely be like a, yeah, a lotto. Right. So uh, anyway, so, so we know that this is what's going on and we know why they're so driven. And both, both these characters have kids and that they need to get back to and that they want to keep fed. So that's part of the motivation. Um, but you know, it's also probably a little bit depressing back there. So, you know, they just keep going and there's, there's definitely like humorous moments in this. And I think that they're trying to show that and similar to what they did with Daryl and Carol, um, these two specifically have a, have a rapport. They're used to working together. Um, they, you know, they, they've been out so they they have a bit of a shorthand with with each other that's kind of fun to see and again this is one of the nice things i think about the way that they're shooting right now is that you see these dynamics and you get to examine that a little bit more and it's it's kind of a cool thing versus oh it's super cool you know that i'm on board with oh this. no versus uh, like one a, other point about their children uh, that is thematically relevant with last episode neither of their children are theirs biologically right right, right. Uh, gabriel's coco is sadiq's mm-hmm. and uh aaron's is the ch- child that they found at that the uh, savior savior right. people right rick killed that child's dad yeah oops oops um so anyway that's something that um you know we're seeing as a as a theme that this is basically found family um, for yeah. the most part. And you have the, and, but that those loyalties. Leah, Leah's child was also an adopted child. That's right. all. It's all like, there seems like there's one of those every episode right now. So it's kind of. Right. Well, and then look at, um, <laughs> look at Judith. Judith. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you've got a lot of that theme going on and that the blood ties don't necessarily mean as much as other ties. And that I think that they really hit that home in this, don't you think? <laughs> so, huh. um, so in any case, you've got these two dads out there and just a couple of dads, just a couple of dads. I mean, they definitely, you know, they definitely went for some pretty just in terms of like the zombie makeup and zombie um, characters in this. They were they were there was definitely some super gross but funny moments, um, you know, when they tried to pull the one. Uh, walker out of the thing and the skin falls off then there's the oh, mud walker God. then the, there's the walker up against the fence um one of my favorite things was actually just although again i'm kind of like would this make sense because wouldn't this draw more of them but if there's sort of um you know walkers that have just kind of gone quiet for a while or hibernating because nothing's around um gabriel like threw the timer into the field to make sure that they knew where they were i just feel like the loudness of that would probably draw more if there were others the around woods. there's something know. really weird going on in this episode with with zombies where they are they like 
it's part of the theme of the episode. Everything is tired, run down, defeated. Mm-hmm. But the zombies are too. Like that one zombie has been leaning against that post for so long that it's like melted to it. Mm-hmm. You know, when it tries to get up, it leaves a bunch of its back on there, which is super gross. That whole field full of zombies just lying down. When do zombies lie down? What right. are they, like cows? Well, I don't know. So, so that's happening. And then the other theme throughout this episode and sort of the the scenery that they keep seeing or the stories that they keep seeing, you know, they come across... Uh, A burnt out cabin with skeletons on the ground and it looks like a little family that had been killed, basically. Or chosen to die together. Or maybe they chose, I don't know. Um, And then you see another one with like a horseback rider who had basically, who knows what happened, but he was all skeletons. That was like some some dinosaur fossil situation where they were like riding on the horse, but on the side and there was another one behind them. Like they've been maybe blown up. It was hard to tell. Right. And so they're really coming up goose egg just with so much uh big finding supplies they haven't found anything and then they the map gets destroyed in the the mud bath zombie episode um yeah and that is mini mart uh scenario also where they come up empty with the the mini marts full of zombies and on the roof there's another Mm -hmm. man and woman maybe who have chosen to shoot themselves on that mattress there's a gun in one of their hands um and so they just keep seeing these signs everywhere of people giving up. And that's just part of this theme throughout the whole episode. And definitely, although definitely in the beginning and at the end of people just being like opting out at this point in the in the game. And that's got to be affecting them, even though they're not talking about it. And, and you know, you definitely see and that again, this is the other nice thing about having sort of the focus on the two characters. You see the reactions to in their faces just when they're taking this in um, mm-hmm. each little vignette. Uh, that they kind of pass by. You can see them processing it maybe in different ways. And it's, honestly, it's they both feel as if they're worn down and pressed. And at one point, Aaron's like, uh, I, I just can't do this. Like, can we just go back? Yeah. Um, and, you know, Gabriel's like, no, no, one more, one more. Because I think he just doesn't want to go back open, like, empty-handed. Um, yeah, they've and, been out for two weeks yeah. doing this. This also reminds me of Tara and Heath when they were driving around yeah. in that RV. They'd been on the road for two or three weeks, and they found, like, two cans of food. And yeah. that was that was right before they found Oceanside. That was a long time in the chronology. That's years and years ago. I think that's right. before the time jump. Um, it's also when Heath was on the show, obviously. And and they were coming up empty on their scavenging run, and they had a car, and they'd been on the road for a couple of weeks, as they said. And so Aaron and, and Gabriel are on foot doing this for two weeks, and also and I'm just like, you have no chance, man. Right. It doesn't feel like a, a a mission that they can they can win. Right, and um, so and I mean, look, and they've been using this map, and they because they lose it. Um, and then they were like, oh, we'll follow our checks back. And then all the rain and, and all that stuff happens. And there's just this really, like, I, I think an overall sort of depressing aspect to, or downtrodden aspect to how the characters are feeling and um, the way that this story is being told, just sort of just this grind that is not coming up with any sort of joy or, or light um, until they find this warehouse, which was nowhere on the map interesting right um so that's kind of an and then i i have to say like even how they explored the the little mini mart and then when they come across the warehouse i was definitely like i think that there's certain certainly some comfort level that i think that these characters have with making sure that there aren't walkers or things like that 
but I still felt like they were being careless in the warehouse um, because there's so many sort of corners in there that are dark and, and not, there's no lighting. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the warehouse and, and this is the first place where they actually find something. Um, that they are, I mean, they, they do the standard procedure yeah. of like banging something to find out if there's zombies in there. Right. Uh, what they find in there is is actually terrifying. I don't have any problem with Aaron screaming. Yeah, when no. He, I when mean, he opens you... a door and finds a giant wild boar, that's a big pig. I mean, haven't we seen Game of Thrones? Come on, uh, boars yeah. are not things to be trifled with, um, and they are super dangerous. Honestly, so they can't. They will totally kill you. Um, so I'm surprised that he managed to kill it. I assume he just whacked it with his club fist, but um, like, wow. Yeah. So it doesn't see, it seems like he just hit it and it went down, but I don't know if it would have been that easy. Yeah. Agree, agreed. Cause that was a pretty big bore. Um, yeah. but in any case, like you, I don't know, there was just a part of me that was worried about them. And I think that the, honestly, I think it was built this way in an, it was intentional. Um, because there were so many dark corners, it didn't feel safe. It didn't feel secure to me somehow. Um, and ultimately I was right. <laughs> so I think that, that um, just struck me. I was a little bit on edge, even as they were having these really great moments where they were, you know, drinking, drinking this amazing um, um, whiskey that they had found. Um, and, you know, I did like how Gabriel knew about it and was trying to I was get a little to- surprised that that was the case. Yeah, like, it doesn't, he doesn't seem like the, the, the go-to character to have like the uh, refined whiskey palate right um and i like he, the guided tasting though that he, he gives Aaron. he's like all right first you smell the bouquet and then you uh taste it and right. then you pair it with food with wild boar right um but i also like that he knew what he was looking for so he was like ah oh, there's got to be something in here somewhere right uh so that so where he even went looking for it you felt like he he was like all right there's got to be something good in here and um i the other thing that i was thinking while they were rela- that made me nervous um is that look it's not like spirits are something that this group has come across a lot i mean i'm sure they have a little bit of a store of them but it's not like they're they have the ability to drink anything every day and these two polished off that whole bottle um yeah. that is a lot for people that have don't probably no longer have a tolerance no matter what your tolerance was before and they're probably already dehydrated yeah i right. mean they, they at least they made a, a show of gabriel feeling like total ass the next day yeah but it was it was still yeah and of course anytime people get drunk and they're not inside their outpost or inside their their walls like the only place i feel like it would be okay to get drunk is at the very heart of alexandria you know not certainly not out on the road and why they couldn't just pocket the bottle or put it in the backpack and take it back with them i don't know i I don't know if gabriel was intending to do that he tried to keep it you know to just a sip at first but then uh once the the poker starts they're already halfway through it I know. Well, I mean, time, you know, by the, the time slippery... they get to the drunken ramblings, I think it's completely gone. Gone. Yeah. My only, my only commentary on that is exactly what he was saying: is that that is not, um, that is not a whiskey to get drunk on. Do you know what I mean? Like you do want to savor it. Um, so, mm. 
I don't know, I don't know, maybe the self-control, maybe the fact that they hadn't found anything positive. And yeah. as, It'd just be a symptom of their depression, basically, well, being right. on this and, and, horrible road trip. And Aaron even said it. He was like, we've had a very long day um, and <laughs> long couple weeks. And so, and it was, you know, the, those interactions between them were pretty good. Um, then they mix in the bluffing with the cards thing. Uh-huh. Um, so Show that the was, bluffing in Act 2. And, yep. uh, yeah. um, and so they, you know, they definitely put a linchpin on that at the end. Those moments were amazing with them. I felt like the way the shots were were incredible. So I really liked how they did, again, much like the last uh, episode, I just liked how they did the storytelling here. And It was so nice to have um, a, lo- a long, lingering monologue with Father Gabriel yeah. and Seth Gilliam, who hasn't gotten nearly the amount of screen time he deserved. They've made his character way cooler than it was when we mm-hmm. first met him in season three. But three, right? I think three. Yeah. And I mean, that monologue, um, Angela Kane was saying he he did that in one take. And that's a pretty long monologue to do. Um, yeah, just staring at the camera. Yep. Also. And he did an amazing job with it. Um, I just thought that that was really done well. And the shots and the the shot was amazing. So um, and you learn you learn a lot more about him. And I mean, this is the thing. I feel like this is a character that we've wanted to know more about. So I'm very glad that they've taken the opportunity to highlight him a little bit. And we get to know a little bit more about what brought him um, into the ministry. Um, and, you know, we, we heard a lot about his parish, but we've heard about things more in negative terms. Yeah. Um, from the moment that they find him. So I really liked the storytelling here because he's talking about something like a mentor of his and how he thought of the world and how he learned some of the things that he learned how to do. Um, And you see Aaron really responding to it um, and basically saying, you really need to start preaching again. But you also hear from Father Gabriel about why he doesn't and that there is a crisis of faith here. Um, and we know that this has been going on for a while. Um, we know, I mean, look at some of the interactions he've ha- he's had with people and some of the things he's seen. And so you can understand why he might not feel so good about going out there um, because his whole worldview has been totally shifted. Um, so that's kind of, uh, this is a, just some cool interactions. And both of these yeah. actors, I think, are phenomenal. So I loved seeing this interaction with them, but I especially loved seeing Seth Gilliam highlighted here in it's such a, a good way. It's a great couple of characters to highlight in an episode like this for sure because Aaron similarly has not gotten nearly as much they've both been built up more since we first met them but I I mean over the last few episodes or seasons since you know the end of the savior war when um, Father Gabriel definitely became like an Old Testament preacher Mm -hmm. more of like the uh, Father Odo from the Bay of Tapestry I don't know if you remember that (laughs) classic Uh, Bishop Odo, I guess he's he's more of a, a war priest, a right. cleric, if you will, um, and and so yeah, just getting more into his head. Loved it, love all that for sure. And then, uh, but you know, if you do get drunk in the zombie apocalypse and you're not nestled deep within Alexandria, you're going to get in trouble. And maybe even if you are, I don't know. They don't haven't explored that too much. But getting drunk in in The Walking Dead is one of those things you just can't do without repercussions. And so there are some. Right. And but these interactions and this lead up was I felt like they built this story so well. They crafted it incredibly well um, because it led to the the next sort of part of this story. Um, And, you know, does it does, I think. As, as well as well, we know these characters pretty well, even though we're saying like how great it is to be reintroduced to them and, mm-hmm. and deepen our understanding of them. 
I, there was never really any doubt in my mind that they were not going to play the Russian roulette game the oh, way no. that they wanted them to. I figured that it was going to play out that way. I think that the interesting part was more going to be how Maze, uh, the character we'll talk about in a second, reacted to it. And it's exactly yeah. how I thought it would kind of go down. But the interactions between, I think it was basically just a very nice reminder about the connection between the characters so that you're not really surprised about how they decide this game is going to play. And mm-hmm. so I thought that, but it was just sort of a confirmation about who they were before they went into it. And so when poor uh, Aaron just goes out to have a pee, he gets, he gets waylaid by this other angry character. I mean, it would have been cool if they had brought Terminator into the walking dead at this point and made him <laughs> the metal crazy Terminator from Terminator. T-1000? The T-1000. Yeah. Um, but I'll take it. I'll take the, you know, they they definitely have lined up some pretty cool little guest stars and this is no exception. Um, so it was very it, like, I don't know. He, he, he plays this very well. Um, and he's, his makeup was pretty cool in this. Um, so like Angela Kang says at the end of the episode, he has effortless menace. Mm. (laughs) I think that's a really good, I think that's about right. And he added, he didn't, he didn't T2 also. Yeah. All he had to do was look at the camera and run with his, with his hands out. Like he was chopping wood with his, with his hands. And you were like, that guy's terrifying. So even, you know, how many years later, 20 something years later, he's still got it. Robert Patrick can still ice. Oh yeah ice down a room with just like a look. Right. The interesting thing though, is that he can equally play, you know, uh, I think a very effective, um, hero slash law person, detective. Um, and so that's interesting too. Like he's got a pretty, he ha- he can play an authority figure, either authority good or bad. So it's kind of yeah. interesting, but, um, Isn't he a stand in for Fox Mulder and the X-Files yeah, for a few seasons. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. So it's like, you know, so there's some kind of cool things. Uh, like he's just an interesting actor that way, but he's very much dressed up in a post-apocalyptic survival stuff. He's got some yeah. layers. The poncho he was wearing ponchos. when we first met him made me think he was a reaper. Like the other guy was wearing a ghillie suit, but mm. just, I was a little concerned because he also had an AK or a, an SKS. He had, and, uh, I was a little bit like, Oh, Oh, this guy's going to be another tie into the Reapers, and then they're really in trouble. But yep. he turned out to just to be a lone wolf, so yep. not such a big deal. Not such a big deal. Um, but he's definitely been out there a while, um, so his sanity is certainly in question. Um, and then as the conversation goes on, we we can see that you know, and it, it's an interesting thing because he is not incorrect because they have invaded his space. Um, they drank his whiskey. They ate his boar, which, as he pointed out, do you think it got into that room alone? Um, the thing is, if he is actually living here, and I know they went upstairs and it was smelly, mm-hmm. it would be the smell of people living here. If he was actually inhabiting the downstairs, they would have been able to tell, I think, by the smell. Well, I think that he generally probably stays in the upstairs, which is why they didn't, you know, um, yeah, maybe. come across him because um, he's a little crazy uh, for obvious reasons, as we'll find later at find out later. But, um, you know, he he places out pretty well because Father Gabriel doesn't know whether Aaron's alive. He asks a few times. And the thing that's like super creepy is that he repeats a lot of the things that Gabriel and Aaron had been saying the day before, especially mm-hmm. things that Gabriel had mentioned, which is that. Um, you know, evil people aren't the outliers anymore. They're the rule. You know, they're not the, they're not the exception. They are the rule now. And so he's throwing stuff back at Father Gabriel. Um, and, you know, he even clearly, he, so, so clearly he's been somewhere where he witnessed or heard everything that they were doing. Um, and so could have at some point 
probably taken advantage of them even worse. <laughs> like he could have tied up Gabriel. He could have done a lot of stuff while they were both inebriated. And so yeah. it's kind of interesting how this plays out. But in fact, he just has Aaron tied up to a chair in another room. He's doing menacing and threatening crazy things with Father Gabriel. And I mean, honestly, mocking him um, because, you know, he says he uses all the Bibles that they found for toilet paper. Um, and, you know, he as, as his story unfolds, uh, he's basically saying that hey why like why should i care about you people nobody cares about me and this is even what happened the closest people to me betrayed me and and it turns out at least as far as we know at this point that his brother was stealing food now also he mentions his brother as a family so clearly there's a reason why this was happening right um, and his brother attacked him when he called him out on the stealing of food. So who knows how that whole scenario played out. But I would say that if you're a parent trying to protect your, your family, probably getting food to the kid or, I don't know, seems like sort of a priority. So I wonder what actually happened in this scenario. But All right, well, I guess we'll never know. We won't know <laughs> now. Gabriel certainly seems to take him at his word, though, based on his actions at the end of right. the Russian roulette game. Right. Which was really uh, pretty surprising to me. I did not see that coming. Also, because, you know, partially because Ross Marquand, who plays Aaron, does not take his eyes off of Maze, even though he must be looking at Gabriel walking around in yep. the background. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was. So well, the, the, the. I was definitely sent back to Deer Hunter. I don't know uh, if you have Russian roulette. Um, movie oh, yeah. Nope, that's the one. That is the one. That is definitely yeah. the one that, that flashed before my eyes. Um, and I think that they did this really well. Um, he's convinced that they're going to turn the gun on each other. They don't ever. And even at the end, when it's clear that the bullet has loaded into the chamber, um, I mean, I was kind of wait. Honestly, what I was waiting for was for Aaron to turn and shoot him in the head. Um, I didn't think that's how I thought that was going to end. That's how Deer Hunter ends, right? Because they yeah. end up putting, I think, three bullets in the gun. So he's like, well, I got pretty good odds at this point. By the time they finish the game, it's one in three. There's like a third, right? Except yep. that they hear the bullet load lock yeah. into the chamber. And so uh, there, he has a loaded pistol. Yeah, he, he could have turned to fire. That's him making a point also. And the show making a point that Aaron wouldn't do that. I right. think Gabriel might have. In I this think case. Gabriel would have. Yeah. And clearly Gabriel takes action. But I'll also point out that, you know, even Aaron's rules when he used to bring people into the community, one of the rules is that, you know, the thing, the questions that they would ask people, like, did you mm -hmm. kill people and how did it happen? And the scenario which Maze has laid out for them is one where they would not have been able to bring him into the community no matter what. So, like, I don't necessarily. So, not so, necessarily. I don't know. It, I mean, Rick killed a lot of people. They didn't say, they they would say why. It was like, yeah, how many zombies have you killed? How many people have you killed and why, I think, were the three questions. Right. Uh, th there was never, to me, a clear delineation of what the wrong answer was to the why question. Mm. It was. I think it had to be, I think the idea was that it was self-defense, but... I mean, that wasn't true for Rick's group. I, yeah, not every I don't time, know. Anyway. Well, in any case, like, Gabriel just takes care of business pretty quickly. Um, so we've learned to never bluff or never, <laughs> never, never, uh, um, doubt Gabriel's ability to, to bluff, I suppose. For um, sure. And, you know, this is pretty convincing and it's probably why it's so jarring, but basically both he and Aaron tell Maze who they are and that they can help him and save him and that this community is for broken people. And then Gabriel takes him out to suite with 
Aaron's hand. Um, so there's that. Um, and then, you know, we think that this is about the end of it. And then they both realize, oh, well, he was listening to us. There's got to be some other layer to this or maybe there's more supply somewhere and they discover that his brother his twin identical twin brother so again they they cut down on the guest stars in this because it's just robert patrick again um has his brother is chained to a radiator or something or a pipe and his family is dead because he played the russian roulette with them and killed them and they've been dead for years yeah um and he's definitely you know not in a state that I think is like clearly is in a state where he is done. And so he and takes Gabriel him, wa- approaches him hands out and says things like, we're not going to hurt you. You can come with us. We're going to free you. We're going to get you. Yeah. all things that he's basically heard him say about to his right. brother downstairs. Right. right. Although, I mean, I think he just, you know, and he took, takes the gun and you think that it may end one way, but he just takes himself out. So it's like this very weird little circle. Um, so, uh-huh. Yeah, with the end of that, they uh, they get a couple of bits of uh, yeah. They're looking at like the photos of the two twins, the family. I, I feel like Robert Patrick could have been de-aged a little bit for that, but mm. um, he has a very young child for being a dude who's probably in his seventies yeah. or late sixties. Um, and then they get out into uh, into the wilderness, and and then. Aaron is like, yeah, let's do one more and the water tower. And they're, they're moving in that direction. They're not going back to Alexandria. I don't know if we'll see the end of this little story, if they'll like come across some sort of massive cache of food, kind of like Daryl and, uh, and Rick did when they met Jesus. I feel like these scavenging stories never work out the way that we want no. them to. I mean, and I also felt like part of why Aaron wanted to do one more is because he's definitely processing and he's still shaken by what just happened. So maybe he's just not ready to go back yet. Yeah, that, and they need something good to happen. Right. Like this was a pretty big downer episode, obviously. And you're left thinking, well, all this negativity has really gotten into father Gabriel <laughs> and he right. needs, we need something good to happen to like shake him up and have him be, uh, become a good guy again. Cause you're definitely at the end of this episode, you're like, Oh, are we the baddies? Right. I think the answer is yes. I think Father Gabriel is one of the baddies at this point. Right. Um, so, um, but I enjoyed this whole episode, and and honestly, I wanted to see more of it. I, I kept wanting it to go on after it was ended. Um, but, you know, it was definitely kind of, it was satisfying, just as it was satisfying to see Daryl and Carol, um, even with the conflict between them. And it's interesting because they've basically showing these two sets of characters both who have been very close and have a lot of trust with each other but are are kind of working through some things um some things within their personal relationships with each other so that's kind of interesting um so i guess we'll see a little bit more of this and i'm curious to see what the next episode holds but so far i'm really enjoying this i'm still very happy it's back on the air and honestly i'm yeah. i'm totally on board with some of the changes that they've had to make and i think that they're doing a great job at working around it and this has been a nice shift um from it's sort of probably the... going to be jarring when we get the whole cast back know, together or I like know. a whole field full of zombies but um yeah i'm i'm there we got three more of these to go uh before I mean, honestly, Fear the Walking Dead starts the week after this little run ends. And so we are being spoiled for uh, yep. for zombie Walking Dead goodness here. 
Yeah, I'm not and it's going to carry us right up to Army of the Dead. Yeah, we're going to be in good shape. Uh, well, after after the one we had ahead of this, that I think I feel like we're this is a great thing happening right now. We so. needed a good run. We needed yeah, we, we needed one more for us. Yes, yes. Uh, so, um. Um, <laughs> if any if any of our listeners have any comments about one more, please feel free to send us your comments. You can tweet at us at reanimatedpcast. Email us at reanimatedpodcast at gmail and our show notes as always, where you can leave us a note or click on any of the links that we've been talking about is reanimated podcast.com well done i clearly need some lunch because i am i'm fading <laughs> apparently um but in any case yeah please feel free to reach out to us i'm curious to see what people think about it um and looking forward to reviewing the next episode with you Stuart. absolutely all right until next time ciao au revoir